Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris DeRoe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, and IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Welcome back to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth, and your host, Chris Durow. I'm Patrice Sikora. Chris, what are we talking about in this episode? Thanks, Patrice. Uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of a different tangent here, and I'm just going to go over 10 questions that have come up in the last month that clients have asked, because I figure if they're asking questions and these questions, then might be of interest to other people, such as our listeners and other clients. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write down 10 of the more interesting ones over the last 30 days and answer those. So that's what we'll be doing today. Well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, these are real people asking real questions. So I'm sure our listeners are going to find something to take away from this. I see your first question here. Someone comes in and says, I have money to invest. Should it go in my RRSP or TFSA? Yeah. So we get these questions a lot. This was a female that had just come into a lump sum of money and this was her question. So really what it comes down to is just, it depends on a number of factors such as are you making at least $50,000 gross of income a year? Because if you're under that, then usually the TFSA makes the most sense. If you're above that, then great. Then you have options between RSP and TFSA, depending on your situation. Of course, if you're going to be owing extra tax in a certain year and you're already halfway through the year in June and okay, this I'm making more income than usual this year, then obviously the RSP is going to help you because you're going to get the tax refund. The other thing to ask yourself is, do you need this money before retirement? Because if you do, then it's a no-brainer. It's going to be a tax-free savings account. Because uh -huh. if you put it in the RSP and you're going to take it out before retirement, then you're going to be taxed entirely on the withdrawal of the RSP. Right. So the difference really is the RSPs, they're considered a long-term retirement savings fund that is it's tax deductible and then taxable when you withdraw it. It's considered to be like it's basically in retirement, it's a second source of revenue that you'll use during retirement. TFSA is more of a multi-purpose. There's no tax deductible. It's non-deductible, but it's not taxable on the withdrawal. And then unlike an RSP, it doesn't reduce any government benefits when you do withdraw the income. Okay. The funny thing is if you Google those questions like RSP versus TFSA, a lot of the things will say, well, the RSP is for retirement, the TFSA is for savings for like a project or something else like that. The thing is, I tell my clients, tax-free savings accounts are actually very important for retirement. And it's important to have assets in that for retirement because the RSPs, as we just mentioned, that's just going to be a, an income for you. Mm -hmm. So you want, it's basically to replace your paycheck. And that's what you want to use the RSP for. You want to obviously avoid taking out lump sums of your RSP in retirement because it is all taxable and that can cause a whole bunch of other issues. Right. So you want a TFSA in retirement for those things that come up like a new roof, a new car, a trip. You want to gift money to a child or anything. There's a whole bunch of options at that, but that's where the tax-free savings account 
does have importance in retirement. Because when you Google it, it just really says that RSP for retirement and TFSA for saving or projects or other things. It doesn't really say keep it for retirement. The other thing is the contributions that I just want to make, go back on that. The TFSA data do not give you a tax reduction. So that is pretty much the biggest difference between the two, whereas the RSP, there is a tax deduction when you put the money in. So with contributions, tax-free savings accounts, as long as you're over the age of 18, 2009, today you'll have $75,500 a room. For contributions in the RSP, it's up to 18% of your income mm-hmm. or to a maximum of $27,380 in 2021. So it's just giving you an idea of how much room you have. Now the RSPs, you can also use previous years. Like if you have contribution from other years you haven't used yet, you can obviously use that on top of what you've gained this year. And that number is on your notice of assessment or you can check your CRA online account or even call CRA to find out what that is. Right, so there are lots of things that go into this decision. This really should be something that you discuss with your financial advisor. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and the thing is like, I'm, I'm giving kind of trying to give a generic answer here, or just some education on to help people figure that out. But of course, everyone's situation is different. So it's obviously always best to contact your advisor. The thing too, is with withdrawing the money from an RSP, if you once, if you withdraw the money, let's say you have the money in the RSP and you pull out, you need to pull some out. We've had people have to do that, unfortunately, because of certain circumstances have come right. up. We already discussed that it's 100% taxable on top of any other income you have in the year, but also that room now is gone forever. So you can't ever go back and get that RSP room. Now, of course, you can accumulate room going forward. And if you have any unused room still available, you have that. But that original room that you used to put that money into the RSP, that's gone. You can't get that back. So it's important to know that. Now, one last thing, I'll move on to the next question. The tax-free savings account is, a lot of people don't know this is that it, I tell my clients, it's kind of like a balloon in regards to your contributions. So once you grow the tax-free savings account and stretch it is what I say, you don't lose that room again. So let's, here's an example. I just said that if you were over the age of uh, 18 and two by 2009, you'd have, you could put in today, 2021, $75,500 and say by the end of this year, by December 15th, you hit it out of the park and it's now worth $150,000 because of what you picked for your investment. Mm-hmm. You Then you withdraw it within this year. Well, next year, you can put the same amount of money you had withdrawn, which is well over the $75,500, plus you'll get the additional $6,000 a room that we get as of now each year. So it's you don't lose that contribution room, right. which is a huge benefit. Yeah. So anyways, that's, that was the first question. Okay. All right. The second one, woman or man came into you and said, I am over 71, but I still work. Can I still contribute to my RRSP for the tax deduction? Yeah. So this gentleman, we were chatting and he still loves to work. He really doesn't want to slow down, but every year he has a significant tax problem. And he's an, he was a newer client. So he was just like, I know I can't contribute to my RSP, but I'm going to have a big tax year. So what can I do for next year? And I said, you're right. You can't put money into your RSP to decrease your taxes, especially because he's over 71. I go, well, you have oh. a riff. Okay. But I said, what you can do after looking at his spouse and looking at her assets and all of that, she is under the age of 71 and she has a spousal RSP. 
So because she's under 71 and there's a spousal RSP, he can actually contribute to his wife's spousal RSP because he has contribution room. He has to have the contribution room. Put the money in the wife's spousal RSP. And then now she owns it. It's part of her RSP, but he gets the tax credit. And that's what he was looking for. So it's a way that you can still contribute to an RSP, even though it's your spouse's, and get the tax reduction. Now, the thing with spells RSPs if, is if she decides to pull the money out in the first three years of the contribution comes out, like say he puts the money in within the first three years, she takes the money out. Well, he gets taxed on that. If she waits over the three years, then it's taxed on her income. So just- so Oh, oh, there. okay. But the biggest thing is people might be saying, are you kidding me? Like, why would a 71 year, like someone in their forties or fifties, they think in freedom 55 or 60 or whatever. And they think well, that's not going to be me. We're getting this a lot more than we used to, because it's just simple. People are now, not because they're, this gentleman is very financially sound, big time. He just wants to keep working and enjoys what he does. So we're getting more people in their seventies that are working, but which is great. And we've gone through multiple times in podcasts, how healthy that it can mm-hmm. be working part-time or consulting or any of that, but it creates a tax problem because now you have RIF income. Now you have your CPP. Now you have your old age security. You have all that coming in and now you have income from your employer. So that's a whole bunch of tax and this can help alleviate some of that. So that was uh Mm-hmm. definitely one of the ones I wanted to mention to people. Mm-hmm. Well, what do they say? 60 is the new 40, right? So if that's the case, then 70 is only 50. There you go. No yep. reason to not still work. I have people still working in their late 70s, a client of mine that I've had long-term. We were going through things and I've been, <laughs> I've been communicating with this lawyer for a while. And then I just, I, he just made a comment. I was like, I went to the, my client. I said, can you just, I'm just curious, like, how old is your lawyer? <laughs> and she goes, you'll never guess. I'm like, okay, well, I go, based on that, I'm assuming he's up there. Yes. Um, and she, I'm, she goes, okay, we'll take a guess. Well, I go, well, based on that, I'm going to say late 70s. She goes, 85. Oh, and I'm my. like, wow. And I go, like, part-time? She goes, nope, four days a week. He just only takes Fridays off. I'm like, Wow. That's, so, that's fantastic. Although he, I, he could be working himself to death, though. Well, I don't know. But, but now, is that really a shock, especially for you over there in the USA with who your president is? <laughs> that's true. That is so true. And look at our Congress, too. Oh, and yes. You know what, though? I like seeing that. I like seeing, I, I don't, I, I just like people seeing that they enjoy so much what they do and they just want to yeah. keep going. Like, hey, why not? So, yeah. Um, okay. Next uh, the next one, yes. What can I invest in with my TFSA? Yeah, so we get this question a lot. Many people think that it's only for savings. Hence, it says tax-free savings account. Mm-hmm. And we'll get the statements from a new client coming in. And usually, a lot of times, their tax-free savings accounts will look at it. And it's just a high-interest savings account which is not where you want it. I always tell clients that you want to make sure that the tax-free savings accounts are invested, obviously appropriate to your risk level, time horizon and all that, but who cares if you're making half a percent or it's even less right now with the interest rates? Like, yeah, it's tax-free, but is that going to help your overall net worth? No. No. 
you want to be achieving obviously a higher return than that since this is one of the very very few vehicles that is completely tax-free you want to make sure that you're getting a good return with this and you can invest in stocks mutual funds all kinds of things i just wish they had originally called these things tax-free investment accounts because yeah the that, savings that, word screws people up i agreed totally agree so the thing is now if someone's just going to use the money to park it because of like my house is closing in six months or I'll see a lot of people, they just put money in there for the year to pay their taxes. Then obviously you're not going to expose that to the market since, as I just mentioned, your time horizon doesn't line up. To me, parking money in a tax-free savings account, like just using it for a year to pay your taxes, I think is a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion because it's just such an important vehicle to utilize properly. If all this chatter that we're hearing about taxes are going up once things slow down to pay this COVID bill back is correct, then that just means these tax-free savings accounts have even become more valuable. So that is why it's just important to make sure that we're completely utilizing these and not just having the money sitting in high interest, making next to nothing in these low interest rate environments. All right. Well, then let's go back to it. Though. So what can you invest in? Well, a whole bunch of things like stocks, bonds, Mm -hmm. ETFs, mutual funds, like it's it, a whole bunch of options. Okay. It just doesn't have to just be a high interest park it savings account. Great. So then obviously you'd be, you could be investing in equity, very aggressive stuff if you had, if you choose to. Just and once again, again have and to again, line up tax, with the risk. Yeah. But, but again, it's tax-free too. Yeah. So a lot of traders will do their trading with inside a tax-free savings account to obviously because they don't, they don't want the massive tax hits. But then the negative of that is if you lose the money, you can't use the capital losses to offset your taxes. So it goes both ways. Oh, good point. Very good point. And that brings us to the next question. Can I deduct my investment fees? Yeah. So obviously this is a question that's because if you're paying fees and you can deduct it, it just means it lowers the overall fees. So who the heck doesn't want that? <laughs> so, but... It, you can only deduct the month. So I'll basically deduct your fees. You can only do this on non-registered investments. This means you cannot deduct the fees in your tax-free savings account or RESPs or RRSPs, RIFs, LIRAs, LIFs. I think I just went through the whole alphabet soup there of <laughs> acronyms. Really, it's only the non-registered accounts that you can deduct the fees for management of your investments and fees for specific investment advice. Of course, the disclaimer here is I'm not an accountant. And the takeaway is, here is yes, you can deduct certain fees from your non-registered accounts. And based on this in your situation, just talk to your accountant because it is important to deduct those fees because it just simply lowers them if you can deduct them. All right, now we're getting into some questions here that are very not so technical. This one I find very interesting. Should I name my underage kids as secondary beneficiaries? Yeah, so usually we see Let's like the common married couples will see that the primary beneficiaries are the spouses. Right. But then a lot of times the clients will ask if they should name their kids who are under 18 as a secondary beneficiary of the trustee. The thing to keep in mind here is if you do that, then the children get everything at age 18 and you have no control. Oh, that. oh that may not be a good idea. No. So myself and many of my clients have set it up that, it, that the will dictates when the children get the money. And then it's over different ages. So yes, 
right away, the money's going to be probated. This, since it goes to the estate because the kids are under age 18. And you hear so much around this that, well, I don't want probate and I'm, I want, I'm going to have a go to my kids and all of that. Probate is a bad word, but on average, it is only one and a half percent. So would I love to avoid paying that? Well, yeah, but at what cost? Like one and a half percent is not massive. And the thing is, it myself, when I work, was working with my lawyer, I decided that I prefer to have the money go to my kids at different stages. Because yeah. like, think think of it. Like, look back when you were 18 compared to when you were 25 or 20 or 30. Like, there was obviously a difference in your money mindset. Mm-hmm. Big time. And, and if quite a few of the lawyers I've spoken to, they've seen horror stories of this where the kids at eight, age 18, boom, get the chunk of change goes into the bank and all of a sudden the kids now have lost motivation to work and do all kinds of things. And then it just really messes them up. I, we actually even had this, I had this, I've even seen this very close with, with a family that I knew very well about 15 years ago, exactly that scenario. So that's why it's important to really understand that. So the takeaway here is to review your will and have these discussions with your lawyer. Now, the client that asked this two weeks ago, she called in and we had a chat about this and I know her lawyer. So I already knew what the answer was going to be, but I said, just call and speak to your lawyer and get back to me after the conversation. And I explained to her the rationale of that. And then she called back and said, yeah, that's exactly what he had recommended to do. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the one lawyer, I remember speaking to him and he's like, he had mentioned he's, he feels extremely strong, like, almost gets his back up with this. It drives him nuts about if the kids are named as secondary beneficiaries. And he just says people should be more concerned about the children's future than paying an extra probate fee of 1.5%. And that, so it's it's something to be aware of. That's how I had it set up. Actually, you know what? I never thought of that to have that set up for my wife, Tina. Maybe I can get that set up too for her at certain ages. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell her that (laughs) (laughs) because then you may need the next question here. My life insurance is ending. (laughs) Do do Um, I need it? And how much do I need? Okay. No problem. Yeah. So basically I'll just talk to your lawyer about that people. And that it's just something that should be touched on. Yeah. So the life insurance one, when life insurance is coming up, people will now be like, ah, it's almost, it's done. I'm still alive. Do I really need it? I made it this far. Things have changed. All this stuff questioning if they want to continue a monthly or annual expense. And with this individual, that's exactly what we went through is the life insurance is the first question is, I said, who are you trying to protect with it? Because basically life insurance is for somebody else. It's not for you. Mm -hmm. So is that still relevant? And of course I knew the situation, which was obviously a big yes. And then the amount, and then actually to find out the amount, we just, touched on this Patrice in that my last podcast financial self-defense and I mentioned Mm -hmm. to use an insurance needs calculator that you can just simply google that and a bunch of them will come up it just will help you figure out based on your individual situation hey how much do you need and the thing is a lot of young couples they simply don't have enough and why I say that is they go to the bank they get their mortgage like they're supposed to do and they get mortgage insurance and that's great they now have protection this is good that they've done this since the mortgage is now insured. However, I would, I would urge them quickly to change that to life insurance as soon as they can, 
since there's a substantial difference between life insurance and mortgage insurance. And yes. A lot of people aren't aware of that, but listeners, if you want to find out what that is, just easily Google it because you'll see the benefits, the difference between life insurance over mortgage insurance, such as life insurance, it's pre-claim underwriting, meaning they're doing all the medical tests and everything now while you're alive, whereas mortgage insurance is post-claim where they're asking more questions and looking into after you've passed away. Life insurance is simple that if you get it for 10, 20 years, your death benefit of day one till the last day of the policy is the exact same per by the dollar. Whereas mortgage insurance, the harder you work to pay off the mortgage, the more it goes down and your premium actually would most likely go up. And when you switch banks and have your terms ending and maybe your health changing within those terms or mortgages and all that stuff, you don't have to deal with rates and all that. So I didn't mean to go on that tangent, but life insurance obviously is superior to mortgage insurance. Like I said, you can simply Google that question and see a bunch of the answers. And let's get back to the young couples that are a lot of times I see potentially uninsured. And I'll explain really quickly why that is, is let's just use simple round numbers. Each spouse makes $50,000. I think I used this in the, my last yeah. podcast. Yeah. So I'll go through it quick is that each spouse making 50,000 bucks, hundred thousand coming to the household. Great. You have mortgage insurance. So if something happens, the mortgage is paid off. But if one of you passes away, there's no way that 50% of your expenses has gone along, gone with that individual, not even close. Usually it's going to be anywhere. The household income is going to be 60 to 75%, especially with young kids that is needed to fund the lifestyle of the family. So let's just say it's 75%. Where's the extra $25,000 coming in now until the kids are older? Sure, the mortgage is paid off, so those payments are gone, but still, you're going to need more insurance. And that's where the insurance calculator can help you figure that out. Mm -hmm. Okay. This next question, the first time I started learning about bonds, this is the first thing they tell you. When prices go up, interest rates go down and vice versa. So why do bond prices and interest rates go in the opposite directions? Yeah, and I, I literally just had this week. And... I've been talking a lot about this because of the interest rate environment we're in. So right, right now we're in an extended period of low yielding traditional fixed income options. And this client asked the other day, at that time, the, the Canadian bond index at the time of the record is recording was close to negative 5% for the year, Wow, which is <laughs> throwing some people off. Cause you're like, well, that's down quite a bit for something I thought was relatively safe, but it's because they don't understand that, the relationship with interest rates. So when interest rates rise, bond prices fall. And conversely, when interest rates fall, bond prices rise and they have an inverse relationship. And this is because when interest rates rise, investors can get a better rate of return elsewhere. So the price of the original of bonds adjust downward to yield mm -hmm. at the current rate. Bonds for the last three decades have been in great in regards to return and risk. Now, since we're at the bottom with interest rates, the pendulum of the interest rate scale is soon to eventually swing the other way due to factors such as inflation and other things. Like I, I just can't even tell you how many emails I'm getting weekly on inflation. Mm -hmm. And it's just simple. Inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And the, well, US and Canada, and that just printed a ridiculous amount of money to keep our head above water. And that's, just look around right now for how hard it is to find to buy a bike or to buy yes. 
uh, a boat or like anything. I, I was having a hard time even trying to find my son rollerblades. So didn't you have a sea dude that you bought or something like that? And I, I've had one for a while, but like friends and that trying to buy them, they're, yeah. they're on waiting lists for two years. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So recreational vehicles have gone just through the roof, but it's because people can't travel as much. Eventually those will start coming up for sale again when people can start to travel. But mm-hmm. Anyways, getting off tangent here, but yeah, so the returns on bonds don't look great right now. And this is why many of our clients were adding in alternative investments to combat this problem. Like it's not a shock that interest rates are now low. They've been going, they've been slowly going down for quite a while. And this has just been a concern of ours. And hence why now we're, as I mentioned, putting in those alternative investments to, to alleviate this. And for listeners, we just recently did a podcast on the importance of alternative investments with uh, portfolio manager Travis Foreman. I believe yes. last episode twenty six. So you can check that out if you're like, well, what the heck's an alternative investment? How does that help fight against low returns and fixed income? It'll go through that. It was a good episode. Yeah. 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 All right. Should I retire? Should I retire, Chris? <laughs> Well, not today. I still need you for another 10, 15 minutes. (laughs) So this is not obviously a simple question to answer. I had had a a new referral come in and that was the first question. And I was like, really? Yeah. I'm like, okay. Like just cut right to the chase, but I'm going to need a couple more more things before I can guide you on that. And he had a great sense of humor. So I think he was just kind of testing me. But anyways, what I explained before is that Anything you need to make sure you need to know quite a few things before. Yeah. One the one basic thing is you need to make sure what you are retiring to. It's easy to know what you're retiring from. And most people are like, what, what do you mean? Like I'm I'm leaving work. It's gonna be simple. I'm gonna be busy. I'm gonna golf all the time. It's it's perfect. I'm like, well, yes, in theory, but you, there needs to be a lot of plan that goes into retirement. We've done multiple podcasts on this. So you really need to focus on what you're retiring to. So it's simple, like I said, to know what you're leaving. But what does your day or week look like in retirement? And I've mentioned before, we run clients through a week in retirement. And I have them go through filling out what they're going to do in retirement just to get their brains thinking. And also there's a whole bunch of white spaces. There's 21 white spaces, seven days, morning, afternoon, and evening. And we just say, hey, just for for fun here, let's just start filling this out. Just get your brain thinking. And then I've had a couple of people fill out and go, wow, that's still a lot of white space staring back at me. And I go... (laughs) Yeah, it's not the scary. Not all golf. It's not all golf. No, and it sounds easy that you're just going to golf five, six days a week. But I can tell you, I don't even think I have one retiree that does six to seven days a week of golf. I have some that golf a lot, but not that much. Anyways, so have you thought how you'll fill your time in? And will you miss the social aspect of things like going into work and seeing your colleagues and all that stuff now? It's not the best question to be asking right now with lockdowns because there's very little of that, but this is not going to go on forever. Eventually it's going to end and you have to kind of base your answers on what you, how work was not like right. Basing things on right now in these lockdowns. And I had one, one client the other day that said originally he was coming to me to help me to, for me to help him to retire. And He's like, you know what, after going through all this, because we run, run him through a retirement checklist and all this stuff, he's like, with COVID and everything else, he goes, I never thought I'd say this. I don't want to retire now. He goes, I thought I did. And I thought this was going to be a time, but he goes, I want to just, I want you to help me make a plan to continue to working on my terms, part-time 
and consult and take away the things I don't want to do. And maybe I pack it in later. And I said, the most valuable thing that we just covered here is that you made that decision and that. So I go, great. Now we can construct a plan on that and you can decide to leave on your own terms. But really COVID had changed this individual's thought on retirement. And it's changed a lot of people's mind on if they want to retire now, sooner or later because of just the environment. Yeah. So really, I can't give you a simple answer on that, obviously, with, to the individual. So what listeners can do is the best thing for that is, Patrice, if you remember, we did uh, a Retire Well series, episode 15 and 16. And the first one is on the qualitative side of retirement, and which is, to me, the most important. And then the, la- the, the next episode is on the quantitative side, and that's episode 15 and 16 on how to retire well received a lot of good feedback on those. So if you're getting close or even if you're retired, it's not even bad. It's still not bad to listen to. That's something that you could listen to. So, And Anyways. and we will have a, a way for them to reach you at the end of this podcast too. So people can always just reach out to you and ask. Yeah. 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 And you can even like under contact, you can, my, you can just hit the button that says schedule an appointment now and it goes right into my calendar and you can book an appointment right then. All right. No back and forth. Okay. Now this next question, I know how I would answer it, but I'm just just me. The question is, should I invest in Bitcoin? Yeah. Getting a lot of questions on that. Really? Um, Yep. Even getting a lot of questions from advisors on this. Oh, so it's getting a lot of attention right now. It's had some big drops. That's Mm -hmm. I'm seeing headlines like crypto collapse and other clickbait. Mm -hmm. Cryptocurrency is volatile. And when there's a fear or uncertainty or doubt story that comes out, it's usually followed by a big drop. And that's what's happened. So the recent stories have been China cracking down on crypto being bad. Tesla's Elon Musk saying crypto's bad for the environment. These are just some of the mm-hmm. things that have caused these significant drops. So when that happens is newbies to crypto will move out and then the seasoned gurus just buy more since they know crypto's volatile and people will be selling it when these stories come out. The seasoned crypto guy or girl individuals know it's a long-term game and when these opportunities come up, they're just going to keep buying and holding since it's on sale. Like when you talk to the individuals that are really into this, that's their game plan. And it's expected. They they know. Like some of the guy, guys and girls I know that really do this, they're cool as a cucumber when this stuff happens because they're completely expecting it. And they know it's a buying opportunity for them. Yeah. And my belief, the more that I learn, I'm actually taking right now a 12-week advanced mastermind on on cryptocurrency because I believe it's here to stay. Mm -hmm. And my my reasons on that is a whole different episode, but regardless, it's like anything else. If you need to understand the risks, your appetite for volatility, because it is, it's got a lot of that. Yeah. And your time horizon, like any other investment before you consider adding it to your portfolio. Crypto is not, you're not adding 50% or 30% of your portfolio to this. It's just adding another asset class. But still, you want to understand like any other investment, your risks. And you don't just jump on the bandwagon because you hear your neighbor or buddy. Or I had a client text me. And he's like, yeah, my, my friend just put in a thousand bucks and he made $16,000 or like one of those stories. And I'm like, okay, but doesn't mean that you just go do that because... You need to research it. There's a whole bunch of things. Don't do not just throw money in something you don't understand because you hear your buddy on the golf course has done this or your neighbor's done that. And there are so many different kinds of crypto too. Yeah. It's just when you get deep into it, 
it is very interesting. I, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's another episode. Definitely. We got to do yeah, that one. Yeah. And I, I will, it just basically the takeaway from here is it's a long-term strategy. It's not a make money quick strategy in my opinion. And you just really need to have a resource or understand it before you start getting involved in it. All right. Now your, your 10th question here, how are you and your family holding up? Yeah. So I thought I'd throw this one in because it was just, I, <laughs> the client, he, he really wouldn't let it go. And I obviously really appreciate that. It's just, and he knows who he is because he's a regular listener. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, because uh, he so this this gentleman he asked me in one of our Zoom meetings how my family and I were holding up, and I said no, we're fine. And it's almost like the regular society question of what we used to have pre-COVID was, "Hey, how's it going?" And now that question's been replaced by people just saying, "Hey, how are you and your family holding up?" So that's been interesting because just that simple question of "Hey, how's it going?" You just simply would, regardless if you're having a bad day or not, say, "Oh, fine, good." Mm-hmm. Well, now people are saying, well, how are you and your family holding up with all everything? And like many people, my response was when he just mentioned, I was like, good, fine. And then he stopped me. And of course, we're like, this is the beauty of Zoom. Like he, he stopped and looked at me and said, Chris, no, really, how are you holding up? And then I paused for a moment since like I hadn't really been asked like that. And I knew by his tone, he just wasn't letting go of it. Yeah. So I said, oh, well actually, no, we are doing fine. Like many young families, it's been difficult with three young kids and keeping busy and trying to keep things as normal as you can for the kids in a not so normal environment has been challenging to say the least. But you know what, like, and Patrice, you and I've talked about this, there's actually been a lot of good things that have come from this. Like we've had way more family time and, and the kids now are so used to me being around a lot more, which I really like. And we've done way more family activities like hikes and rollerblading and working out in our home gym than we have in the basement. And the most important thing is the family dinners. Like that's so important when these kids are small. I mean, oh, we've, yeah. oh, we've yeah. moved, we've moved away from it. Like because of all the kids sports, like before we knew it, teen and I were within three kids. We had 14 sporting events a week. That's not a, a that's not a made up number. Like I, I had to count. I'm like, what? We were at 14 sporting events a week. Between we three kids? Yes. And we never planned to do that. It just kind of happened. So we we're all running out, passing each other up and down the highway all evening, dropping off at arenas, <laughs> horse riding, figure skating, soccer. And now we're having family dinners seven nights a week with each other, which has just been great. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, how do we not have like barely any family dinners together because we got so involved and yeah we'll always have kids in sports it just it made us realize like wow how do we get so caught up in that and let such an important thing when these kids like there's they only have one childhood and it's such a short time and family dinners is when you hear of everything and about their day and let them just talk so anyways it was just it was a great car i just hadn't someone that direct like not let me get out of it just he wasn't letting me get out of it until we had a chat and we just went back and forth for a while. And I was, then of course we had a good chat about it with him and I was just really happy to hear that he was doing well. And most importantly, in a, a great spot mentally. So anyways, that's fantastic. not a financial question, but I just hope that everyone else out of all of this is getting some positive things too, because yeah. there is positive things out of this. It is not all doom and gloom. It's true. It's very true. Now, how can people reach you, Chris? Yeah, like we just mentioned earlier, the website's the easiest, threehatsfinancial.ca. 
the contact, there's a contact form, or the easiest is you just click the link saying you want to schedule a meeting right now and it'll find a spot in my calendar and it gives you uh, a spot and I just have there for the first one a 15 minute virtual coffee so we just have a zoom meeting for 15 minutes just so I can hear about your story and see if we can help and yeah see where it goes from there Chris that was really a great review of what real people are thinking and, and what they're asking you Chris Durow of Three Hats Financial great episode subscribe to this podcast share and add your comments we'd love to hear from you I'm Patrice Sakura, and let's talk again later Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.